2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I took a break from life yesterday, which was not sexy at all. I've done nothing for the past week and change but work, 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 work. So many deadlines, so much to take care of. And I was just going nonstop with these, you know, 18 hours, 16 hour, 14 hour days, 12 hour days. It was like leaving early for the day. And I was just like, I can't, I can't. I usually cleaned my house pretty thoroughly every Wednesday and every Sunday. And I'd skip two Wednesdays and a Sunday. Like my house looked crazy. I took the sheets off the bed to wash them like a week and change ago. So there was just like a naked mattress and I'd been sleeping on the couch. And then like the dishes were piled up in the sink. The floor hadn't been swept. Papers everywhere, magazines everywhere. And I was just like, I can't live like this. If someone came in my house, they would be like, this woman is mentally unwell. This place looks crazy. So I had to go clean up my damn house. And then I had to take care of like a million small things. Like emails that needed responding to. And bills that needed to be paid before they were late. Change the water and my roses. Things like that. So today, I'm speaking to you from a clean home. And an uncluttered desk. That was the other part. Like, my work desk looked nuts. And I was like, no wonder I can't focus on anything. Like, I'm living in chaos. So I had to clean up my chaos so I could be more productive. So far, so good. I'm off to a good start. I'm recording this at 830 in the morning as opposed to the middle of the night. Off to a good start for the day. Shout out to the people of Texas especially the 3 million that still don't have electricity. I did hear the electricity is coming back on for some people. I have some friends that live in Houston. And one of my friends this morning, she happily shared that her power was back on, but she didn't know how long it was going to stay on. But she'd been without power for more than 24 hours. She said it was like 30 degrees in her house. She and her husband were sitting up in front of the fireplace, all bundled up. And it was still cold. It's usually around 60 or so. In Houston, this time of year, and it's about 14 degrees right now. I don't even wanna tell y'all what the weather is in LA. Y'all would hate me. We're having a string of sunny 70 degree days. The only reason I have my door closed, I don't have windows in my apartment. I have a wall of glass doors that leads out to my balcony, but the only reason I don't have it open is because of the outside noise. I live in DTLA, so you can hear the cars going by, sometimes sirens. So I close the door when I record, but otherwise, But I do hope it warms up in Texas very soon. People have been making jokes, especially those from the Northeast, about how Texas can't handle cold and they're all freaking out. But it's actually a really dire situation. I was watching an interview on the news last night and this couple with young kids, I think they had three and their oldest was seven. They were talking about how cold it was in their house and the wife had taken her art off the walls and was burning it to stay warm. Please get these people some electricity and some heat. I saw Don Lemon. He was like, I can't believe this is America. Now, Don, you know, this country is a scam. It's so baffling to me every time someone says this is America in response to some crazy thing going on in America. Have you ever noticed that y'all say that once a day? This is America. The thing that you think it is, it's not. Because every day you're pointing out some huge, faulty, systemic issue. That's, that's America. The idea you have, the branding of America, it's just branding. Three million people without electricity in a major city? It's very American. But we have money. We're the richest country in the world. Yeah, and we don't give a fuck. We treat our citizens like trash. This is America. Ted Cruz, United States Senator from Texas. Ted Cruz said he don't do cold. He and his wife hopped on a flight to Cancun. Millions of people without electricity freezing in their homes. People are dying. Ted Cruz and his wife got on a plane and went to Cancun. They out. That's some shitty leadership. I mean, I don't really expect much more from Ted Cruz, but still. In other crazy news, we keep talking about Nick Cannon. The last couple weeks, it's been about his job opportunities. He's got a talk show in the works. He's going back to MTV as the host of and Out. He's still got his gig as the host of The mass Singer. He's got a podcast. And because it's Nick Cannon, Nick Cannon loves to work. And I'm not mad at a working man. I'm sure there's something else in the chamber that we just don't know about yet. But despite all this work, Nick Cannon has a lot of free time. He's in at least three entanglements with three different women. He's got a newborn with one woman. He's got another woman who's allegedly pregnant with twins for him. And he has another woman who's just his girlfriend. She's not pregnant. But on Valentine's Day, two of those women shared their gifts from Nick Cannon. One of the women who claims to be Cannon's girlfriend, now she had a room filled with balloons for Valentine's Day. And then another woman, the mother of the newborn, She also shared a video of her Valentine's Day gifts, and she had a room with balloons, too. And there was a bed covered in rose petals with the initials N and B. That woman's name is Brittany Bell. Look, I'm convinced some people are getting more than 24 hours in a day. We usually make that joke about Beyonce when she's releasing albums with full videos for every song. We're just like, where does she find the time? At the same place Nick Cannon finds it. Please point me in the direction of this magical, mystical, time-bending place. I want some. I need some more time. I'd be working my ass off and I still can't get it all done. And I don't have half the shit they got going on. I'ma lead a commentary about Nick Cannon's loin management to the bloggers. Everybody's consenting, everybody's adults. Y'all do what y'all do, y'all figure it out. I am genuinely interested in this man's time management. I mean just the just just from the professional work alone. But you got all this professional work, and you got all this personal business, too, plus kids. There's the twins with Mariah. I think there's another child. There's the newborn. There's allegedly these twins on the way. Sir, how are you finding the time? I genuinely want to know. Find some time to write a book about time management. That's a bestseller waiting to happen, Nick Cannon. I know you don't need the coins, but if you want them, that's a quick and easy fix. Just do a podcast episode. Put it behind a paywall. I'll pay for it. Happily, I want to know how you do it. I'm genuinely interested, not even being facetious. I want to know because I'm out here. I cleaned up my house. My nails still look like shit. My hair is braided up, but my edges could use a retouch. Ain't no time for that to take out the front and then have my lady come over here and redo it. That's not going to happen. It just is what it is. These edges about to get fuzzy and ain't nothing I can really do about it. Ayesha Curry is in the news. She's in the news again. She posed naked for the body issue of Sweet July, which is her lifestyle magazine. July is her anniversary month and also the month that all three of her children were born in. So, Sweet July, indeed, for her. The photo was very pretty. She posted it on her Instagram page. Steph posted it as well. She is butterball naked. Steph picked the photo. It's a beautiful image, appropriate for the body issue. All you can really see is a bunch of skin. You see shoulders, you see shins, you see some underthigh. But the emphasis is really on her skin. Her skin looks gorgeous. It's healthy, hydrated, blemish-free. I don't know if that's just, I don't know if that's her as is or that's the work of Photoshop, but it's a gorgeous image nonetheless. She got a lot of praise for it, rightfully so, because it's a good photo. But she also got some feedback back in back in December of 2015, which I'd like to point out is a little over five years ago, just for clarity. But Curry tweeted, quote, everyone's into barely wearing clothes these days, huh? Not my style. I like to keep the good stuff covered up for the one who matters. And some folks who saw this new image of Curry naked were like, is this the same person that was telling women to cover up a few years ago? And Curry responded, I never said that, which she didn't. She said that she likes to keep it covered up for the one who matters. And this picture, it's pretty covered up. I mean, yeah, she has on no clothes, but angles matter. You can't see anything. There's not even a piece of cleavage, no ass. Again, you can see shoulders, you can see shins, under thigh, and that pretty face. That's all you got. She's still all covered up for the one who matters to her. Remember when she said she wanted attention? Well, you got it. People really hate that woman. Which is so weird to me, because I remember when she was, like, beloved. It was like, get you a Michelle Obama or an Aisha Curry. And now, people come for her. But she's thriving. She and Steph, and the kids. So good for them. I like the image. I thought it was pretty. Do you all remember... The black lady who won the Powerball, she hit for $188 million. She was on an episode of Iyanla. She'd gone and bought some plantation house, and she was blowing through money like water. But she has $188 million. So, I mean, even after taxes, ma'am is still rolling in dough. But she was spending that change. She's not broke. That's not what this story is about. She's actually being sued by her then-boyfriend. Now, if you remember... Her boyfriend was a drug dealer and I think they had two kids together by the time she hit the Powerball. And she was buying him all types of stuff. And he had been arrested a bunch of times and had a bunch of pending charges. And she was spending a ton of money that she had to spend bailing him out. And I wrote about this. I think I wrote about it for Very Smart Brothers. But at the time I was like, look, if when she was broke, She was dating this drug dealer and they had kids together. Then it was his drug money that was taking care of them. She lucked up on this Powerball. She returned the favor. That's code. You may not like it, but that's what you're supposed to do. Somebody looks out for you when you're down. You're supposed to look out for them when you up. I get it. But that sir, that boyfriend, he's currently locked up. He's not set for release until 2023. But... When he went to jail, he turned over all his assets to her. They've since broken up, and it seems she sold his assets that were in his name. And those assets include, and I'm reading this from Madame Noir, just like to cite my sources, a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar modified Chevrolet stingray, hundred thousand dollars worth of clothes and jewelry, and a six hundred thousand auto restoration business along with other large purchases. But now he's suing because they're no longer together romantically, but she's the agent of his stuff while he's locked up. And apparently she's been selling it off. So the lawsuit says that she has an unconditional obligation to act in the best interest of her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. And it didn't stop just because their relationship ended. And I would actually say that you don't have an obligation to an ex's things when you break up. However, because the gifts were in the ex-boyfriend's name, like the car and the business, there might be a case here. So the boyfriend from jail is seeking compensation for the assets that he claims were his, and he also wants punitive damage. Now I could see him being like, the stuff was in my name, and you shouldn't have stole my stuff, even though you paid for it. The stuff wasn't his name, that's fair. I could see him wanting that. But punitive damages? Really? You trying to run this lady for her paper. Which, everybody told you was going to happen. I still don't like to see it happen to a woman. I hope she got a good accountant. Somebody trustworthy. Who's going to make sure that she's not broke in 10 years. Because that's the story of a lot of lotto winners. They didn't know how to manage their money before they got money. Then they got money and still didn't know how to manage money. And then they end up broke. Selling off for pennies on the dollar all the luxurious stuff they bought when they were balling. I hope that doesn't end up as this woman. This is messy. And they got kids. I think I said that. They got two kids together. So they still got to deal with each other in some form or fashion once he gets out of jail in 2023. He's there on a seven-year prison sentence for drug trafficking. Whew Dave Chappelle is having a good week. If you remember, when Dave Chappelle did Saturday Night Live, he talked about how the Chappelle show was running on Netflix, and he didn't even know until someone told him. And he was like, they're running my show, they're running my name everywhere, and I don't get a dime for it. I think his show was also on HBO Max, and he asked his fans not to watch the show. He did ask Netflix to take it down, and Netflix has a big deal with Dave Chappelle. He does well for them. It's a reported $60 million deal for his comedy specials. He told Netflix, he says, this makes me unhappy. Can you take it down? And Netflix did. They obliged. But when people stopped watching the show, the show lost its value. So Comedy Central, they went back to Dave Chappelle. They worked out some agreement. Dave Chappelle got his name back, he said. He also said they paid him millions. And he did a stand-up that he posted on his Instagram page thanking his fans. He said, because of you... I don't know what Dick tastes like. (laughs) Dave. But he was saying because of the loyalty and support of his fans, he's never had to greatly compromise himself to be successful in his profession. Which isn't the story for a lot of people. So good for him. I'm happy for him. As a creative, as a content creator, as a content producer, across multiple platforms, I'm really, really happy for him. Like, I own... Most of my stuff, I own this podcast. I own Don't Waste Your Pretty. I don't own the dramatic rights. I sold those. I don't own the book, A Bell in Brooklyn. I tried to get it back. They told me no. I do have the dramatic rights. I had the foresight to get those when I negotiated the contract. Didn't have the audio rights. I think I told you about this before. My current literary agent went back to my publisher and asked them for our rights back. A Bell in Brooklyn has been out 10 years. It's nowhere near as popular as it was when it came out. And it's not, it's not selling in any real significant way because it's been out for 10 years. But they did follow up and they were like, well, you can have the audio rights. And we were like, wait, what? We were like, you're giving us the audio rights? That's the cash cow. People always ask me to do an audio book. It's not for Don't Waste Your Pretty. It's for A Bell in Brooklyn. That's the one with all the good stories. We were like, don't say shit until that's countersigned. But they gave us the audio rights back. We didn't have to pay for it. They just gave it to us. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, So I do own my audio rights for the book. And this being the 10th anniversary of A Bell in Brooklyn, I'm going to do an audio book that comes out on the 10th anniversary in June. So once I wrap up my current stuff, wrap up, ha, I'll be able to do that. We start taping that in March. Oh, my God. Next month. Jesus. Jesus. I want to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. I love that film. I loved it. I'd heard amazing things about it. The reviews, except for Vulture, were really strong. Like, praising it as one of the best films of the year. And it's only February, but still. But critics were fawning over it. My friends who'd seen early screeners were fawning over it. My industry friends who were, you know, writers, directors, producers, all of that were fawning over it. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to watch. It took forever. I had to screen her for like three days before I had the chance to watch it because I was drowning in work. And I wrapped up something at like, I don't know, after midnight. And i had been going since 7 a.m. And I was like, well, I'm up. Drank all this coffee all day. Now I can't go to sleep. Let me watch the film. Phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And phenomenal doesn't really do it justice. I think in the non-review review that I wrote online, I called it Glorious. I was like, what's better than great? And I was like, I think we're at glorious status here. It's so, so, so good. Daniel Kaluga. I really hope I said his name right. I looked it up and practiced it. I hope I got it right. It's better than my mom. My mom still calls him Blue Blanket. And I'm like, mommy, stop. Call him Fred Hampton. I interviewed Charlie Murphy years ago and he was like, call me anything except Eddie Murphy's brother. If you want to call me the name of a character I played in the movie, if you want to call me the guy from the Chappelle show that tells the stories, I'm fine with that. Acknowledge me for my work. That's fine. But do not call me Eddie Murphy's brother. Rest in peace to Charlie Murphy. That was a funny man. God, he was funny. Um, but Daniel was amazing. The only reason I won't say the spirit of Fred Hampton jumped into him is because I think it diminishes Daniel's skill as an actor, I hate comparing this movie to other movies, but it totally gave me Malcolm X vibes. In the review that I wrote, I said that Daniel is going to go on to do other amazing things. But I think just like Denzel and Malcolm X, this one's going to be his magnum opus. Like everything he does is going to be great because he's great and he brings his greatness to every role. Like you might not like a particular Denzel film, but nobody ever says, oh, Denzel was terrible in that film. It's the film was terrible, but Denzel was good. I think that's going to be Daniel's story as well. Lakeith Stansfield, he plays the same character in every film, except the photograph. He wasn't bad, just okay. But he he thrives on being the awkward black guy with this weird nervous energy. It's just what he does. And I'm like, do you select your roles to play awkward black guys? Or this is just who you are and you show up as a version of yourself. But he did this interview about the therapy that he needed from playing this role, playing someone who betrays a great man. But he he did a really, really good job in the film. Like, him and all that awkwardness, he really delivers. Dominique Fishback, she played Deborah Johnson, the girlfriend of Fred Hampton, in the film. And she just nailed it. I wasn't familiar with her as an actress. She's been in a couple other shows, The Deuce, The Affair, I never watched either. I watched the first couple episodes of The Affair, and it was good. I just, I just never followed up. I just got distracted doing other things. But I was like, I might, have to go. I might have to go back and watch for Dominique Fishback. She carries all of her emotion on her face. Like, even without opening her mouth, you know everything that she's thinking and feeling. Like, she just has this presence on a screen. And I love that she wasn't just like... Some one-dimensional love interest. Essentially a prop to illuminate how powerful the man was that he had this woman. But her character is smart. Like, she approaches Fred Hampton as like, I write speeches and yours need help. And and their flirtation is reciting Malcolm X speeches to each other. Which I was like, oh my god, this is like the sexiest thing I've ever seen on film. Like, I'm a nerd that way. Fred Hampton offers her some coffee. He said, how do you take it? And she said, "Black." And sweet, and I was like, "Ooh, talk that talk." And then they kiss. I was like, "Ooh." There's another scene in the film where she's reciting her poetry to him. She's pregnant, and he finds her journal and starts reading it, which is a huge offense. And she ends up reciting this poem that she wrote about him. And it's like, "Yo, like you're out here talking about you're willing to die for the people, you're willing to die for the movement, you're willing to die for freedom." I'm not willing to die. Like, I'm pregnant with your kid. And you shouldn't be willing to die because you got a kid on the way. You got something to live for. You got me and this baby. Like, you need to live. Really beautiful poem. Really beautiful scene. She's a really good actress. But I look forward to seeing more from her. And a lot of other people were moved, too. I saw Dom tweeted earlier today. Dom, like I know her. But she tweeted earlier today that she was taping Jimmy Kimmel. And she was really excited because it was her first late-night interview. So, good things are happening to her. She's been in the business for a while and her talent is being recognized and celebrated. So, good for her, good for her. But overall, Judas and the Black Messiah was just a really good film. I loved all the recognizable faces in it people whose work you love, but you don't necessarily know their names yet. At least I don't. And I was like looking at certain people and I was like, I know I know you from somewhere. I know I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? And in like pivotal scenes, I was like, Bobby Digital (laughs) or Ralph Tresvant or Rolo. I don't know if it was season one or season two where James St. Patrick killed his mentee, Rolo. But Rolo plays Bobby Rush, who's now a congressman, a long serving congressman from Chicago. It's one of my dad's friends. But Rolo I yelled that out at the most inappropriate time. Thank God I was like just watching it home alone because I would have yelled it in the theater. I'm one of those people. But I was like, Rollo! Because it was taking me. I was like, I know this face. I know this face. And that's who it was. Vulture was the only place I saw that didn't like the film. The critic was a black woman and she was just like, and she just was not feeling it. She did have one critique that I thought was very valid. She pointed out the ages of the actors. Daniel and Lakeith are late 20s, early 30s. But in real life, Fred Hampton was murdered when he was 21. And the character played by Lakeith Stansfield, the snitch, Bill O'Neill, he was recruited by the FBI when he was 17. I think those ages are really important to telling this story. because. Bill O'Neill becoming an FBI informant and turning on Fred Hampton as essentially a teenager is very different to me than doing it as a grown ass man somewhere around 30. I don't think you fully know the weight of what you're doing at 17 versus 30. I can look back from 40 and say, you know it better then, but you still don't quite get it. And for the flip side of that, for Fred Hampton to accomplish all that he did and not just being chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. I mean, I, I don't mean just a title, but I mean creating a breakfast program for children where you're feeding 3,000 kids a day, or opening medical clinics or uniting different factions along class as opposed to race, for being so charismatic, for being so confident, for having that voice and that sense of self at 21. A lot of people can't achieve that at 30 or hell, ever. But to achieve that at 21, it makes him all the more important is not the right word. Maybe it it leaves you with even a greater sense of awe. I'm just very struck by how young they both were and made these life-impacting decisions. I'm just amazed at the choices that they made at such young ages. Like, according to science, the rational part of your brain is not even fully developed until you're 25. But So I think about people's ages a lot when they make Extreme decisions, those that are good and those that are bad, just to think about how maybe underdeveloped they were or how far ahead of their time they were. It's just something that I take into consideration. But I think that as good as Daniel was and as good as Lakeith were in this film, I think if their characters were played by people who didn't look like fully grown adults, I think it's a different story with a different impact. That's my sole criticism of the film, which I think you can love something and also be critical of it, and it takes nothing away from it. There was this one scene, though, that I did start screaming at the camera, and it wasn't the very end. This is a spoiler. You might want to fast-forward a minute or two if you haven't seen it yet. But there's a scene where Fred Hampton receives a large sum of money to run away. His appeal has been denied, He's going back to jail on trumped up charges. I think it was a seven year bid and he was going to do it. And he was like, I'm not running, despite everyone trying to convince him. So he's sitting in the room with all of his friends, his very pregnant girlfriend sitting with him. And he takes the money and he gives it to another member of the organization and says this money will get the clinic open. Use it for that. The medical clinic. And I was screaming at the screen because I was like, yo, I feel you on wanting to empower your community. The community absolutely needs this medical clinic. And so does your pregnant girlfriend who won't have you because you're about to go to jail for seven years. That money could really help them, too. It's also 21. He may not even be thinking about that shit. Maybe he thought they would just figure it out. The Black Panthers would take care of the family. I don't know whether they did or didn't. I mean, I guess they figured it out, and the Black Panthers must have done something right because Fred Hampton Jr. is now the chairman of the Black Panther Party Cubs in Chicago. He's also a heavy consultant on the film. He's on set almost every day, I read. It's a really good film. If you haven't seen it, it's a must-see. I don't recommend that too often.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I.com.
1: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time.
3: I want to talk about simps today and the giant disconnect that men and women have. You know, I don't talk about relationships as much as I used to. And it's not even because of my divorce. I would actually started drifting away from it while I was married. Born out of a professional frustration of so much of relationship content solutions being aimed at women and not so much at men. You tell women how to be these perfect creatures, which no one can really be, but you could try. Okay. But we put women on this journey to change and rearrange and manifest all of these things to get themselves to be quote an unquote wife material. And we direct none of this at husbands. You got women on this journey to constant self-improvement. But if you are a woman who evolves yourself into your best version of yourself, you fundamentally cannot operate in a partnership with someone who has not done the same work. It'll drive you fucking crazy. And I feel like this simp situation is another manifestation of the same problem. Like, not only are so many men not doing the work, they're also not willing to, and they clown men who actually do it. So, Russell Wilson and his wife of five years, Sierra, they have three children together. Two of them she had with Russell. One of them is from a previous relationship with a well known rapper. They do this cute couples interview for GQ. I saw nothing controversial about it. It was very run of the mill. It was, How well do you know your spouse? So, like, where did they go to college? What's their full name? What are their parents' names? Where did they grow up? What was their first car? One of the questions was, What is your biggest fear? And Russell Simmons says, losing Sierra. Okay. The man's biggest fear is losing his wife, the mother of his children. These two are happy as fuck together. Both of them. Sierra always looks happy. Russell always looks happy. The kids look happy. They a happy ass house. Man's biggest fear is losing a woman who is part of the creation of his happy ass house. His happy ass life. Somebody made me that happy, I would fear losing them too. That makes sense to me. Some nefarious folks get wind of this interview. They go and watch, and they are outraged. This man talking about his losing his wife is his biggest fear? He's a simp. Nigga, what? It's his wife. Big mad. There was much commentary from nefarious men. And I, I make a point to say nefarious men because all men don't think this way. And there was a lot of men who were also like, y'all sound dumb. This is one of the responses that was wildly circulated. And it's in response specifically to Russell saying that he feared losing his wife. This man said, typical simp behavior. You're a highly paid football star. Bitches gonna be lined up to fuck with you. Sierra don't look that good. You could get somebody way finer than her. You're more valuable than she is. She should be afraid of losing you, which she never said she wasn't. Just FYI. She's a washed up R&B singer. If you leave, I doubt she's going to be able to get anyone else of your caliber unless they're also a simp. I need some of y'all just to say y'all hate women and go. Just ignore the woman population. Just go fuck with your boys and be happy because this toxic shit y'all spreading here, y'all going to be alone forever with this shit. Ain't no halfway decent woman putting up with a man who thinks she has no value. And this really isn't even about Sierra. It's about women in general. You don't value women. And so you fundamentally don't understand how any man can value any woman, including his wife. These same men be running around talking about they need to the lead, They want the big piece of chicken. They want their food on a ceramic plate, not paper. They got to sit at the head of the table. She got to make the plate, and she got to feed him before she feed the kids who can't even feed themselves. You want a woman to submit to you, but you see no value in that woman, or at least not enough that you fear losing her. Like I said, I didn't think much about what Russell Wilson said because it just seemed normal to me. And then I was reading the negative reactions and I got to thinking, I was like, you know why Russell probably doesn't want to lose Sierra? Why it's his biggest fear? There's a couple reasons. The two I thought of first were, Russell Wilson probably doesn't want to be future. If he and his wife were to part ways, she's probably taking the kids with her. So he becomes a weekend daddy. He sees his kids every once in a while instead of every day. She'll eventually start dating a new man, a simp, and that new man will be good to her and he'll be good to her kids. In the same way that the son from Sierra's previous relationship calls Russell daddy, wears Russell's jersey. Russell is carrying the child around in pictures, loving on him like he's his own, as he should. Russell is the primary male role model in that child's life. If you're a halfway decent person, shit hurts. Watch somebody else raise your kid. Watch your kid call somebody else daddy. It hurts. Russell probably don't want that shit. He also might not want to be divorced again. I've talked about how awful divorce is a million times on this podcast, so I won't detail it again. But if you've been through that shit, you never want to go through it again. Some people do it more than once. God bless them. I don't think I could endure it. The first one almost broke me. I can't do that shit again. The first person I dated, I wouldn't say seriously, but regularly, after I moved to Maryland, I was still separated. He was divorced. I'd been living in Maryland probably seven months when I met him. He'd been divorced for three years. But I told him up front, and I was like, yo, I'm in the process. Like, I don't want to mislead you. Like, And he was like, nah, I get it. Like, I lived it. But we would joke, and we were like, yo, if this goes anywhere, we get married, there is no divorce. You can hate my ass, and I can hate you. We're going to have to make enough money where we could live on opposite ends of the house. We'll just live separate lives. But ain't nobody going through a divorce again. Ain't nobody filling out all the papers. Ain't nobody going to courthouses and explaining the minutia of your relationship to a judge and before an audience sitting behind you in the pews. Anybody doing that shit again? This shit's humiliating. That your whole emotional, financial, psychological, anything that ends in an AL, social, everything on the line, indefinitely, everything you value is up for grabs, including a person that you love or loved. Shit sucks. But I thought about that too. And I was like, hell yeah, Russell Fears losing Sierra. Nobody want to go through that shit again? I wrote about it and some other folks pointed out, they were like, I thought he meant death. He was really good friends with the Bryant family. Kobe and his daughter were killed. He's probably seen what that's done to Bryant's family. Bryant's wife. He probably don't want to feel that. His father died not so long ago. He knows what that loss is. He's seen his mother go through that loss. He don't want to deal with that. And I was like, true, true, true. Yes, true. But again, it really ain't need no explanation. It's his wife. I don't really think people understand what that means anymore. It's not, she's not some random. She's your wife. She's your life partner. I mean, if nothing else, you're in a legally binding agreement with her over all of your shit. Yeah, you should be scared of losing her. And vice versa. Women should fear losing their husbands. It's not a one-way street. Especially if he's good. Now, if he ain't good. And if she ain't good, you do what you have to do. But don't nobody want to go through that shit. Damn. Michael B. Jordan has also been called a simp. He's dating Lori Harvey. And for Valentine's Day, bruh went all out. They have these nicknames for each other. think his is Nugget and hers is Turtle. He rented out an aquarium for her for Valentine's Day so she could see the turtles. And there was this elaborate floral setup. I mean, it was jaw-dropping beauty. Oh, my God, it was gorgeous. He got dinner from Nobu. He also set up a hotel suite. I can't even say it looked like a rose garden. It had more roses than a rose garden. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And then he bought her stock in Hermes. She likes Hermes bags. I was like, sir, you better spend that coin well. You've been watching how Steve does Mother Marjorie. You see what the standard is. You didn't just meet it, sir. You exceeded it. You did good. You did real good. I loved it. I love to see a black woman treated well. I love it. Some other men, they saw that and they were like, oh, you know how much hate you got to have in your heart to see two happy people and be like, oh, just mad, mad. The little boozy was one of those men. He did this interview on Vlad TV. Sir is a whole 39 years old, looking like a hard-lived 55, not like a sexy and fit 55, like a fresh 55. Sir looks like hard living, looks like a life driven with city miles. Sir... He got on Vlad TV and called Michael B. Jordan a simp for dating Lori Harvey. Said her body count was too high. She's dated all these celebrity men and then proceeded to list them. Let me find the quote. What did he say? He said, when you're a woman like that, who dates all those men, he said, quote, once you've been ran through like that, you're only going to catch a simp. You ain't going to catch no street nigga. Who the fuck wants a street nigga? You're 39 years old, still loving the streets. Sir, go inside. You're too damn old. Go inside. Street running is for the 20s. I'll give you up until 35. But at some point, get your ass out the streets and build something of substance for your life. Damn. 39 years old, doing Vlad TV interviews, talking about another man's happiness. A man who's more attractive than you earns more than you has more star power than you and more accomplishments than you and more joy than you. His ass is not the one on interviews complaining about how another man lives his life. Calling that man a simp for loving a woman that you don't have the net worth, the resume or the aesthetic appeal to even get a DM response from. Stop it. Stop it. I need him to go manage his own affairs. Because he stayed trying to drag somebody. Hmm. Used to talk about D-Wade's daughter. He had much to say about that till Mike Tyson shut him up. Go look up that story. That's a fascinating one. Go look up that story. That's a fascinating one. Mike Tyson was like, are you sure you're not gay? You be mad about shit that really don't concern you. Like, why are you so invested in this story? Boozy ain't say shit. He ain't get punched in the face by Mike Tyson. This is just little dick energy at its finest. Gonna sit around and look at two happy people and criticize their happiness. Michael B. Jordan looked overjoyed in that video. He was just in it for a glimpse. Lori turned the camera to him. And he just pointed towards his work. <laughs> Let the work speak for itself. Every time you see them in pictures together, they look goo gobs happy. I like happy people. All oh, this little dick energy running around. Mad at the world because your dick ain't big. It's shameful. So many women express wanting a man like a Russell Wilson or a Michael B. Jordan. And it's not necessarily because of their wealth or the things that they buy. It's the time spent and the attention. And at its fundamental level, it's the genuine joy they express in loving their woman. I can tell you some of the things that Russell's bought Sierra, some of the places he's taken are things like that. But the thing that does it for me, he did a video one year And he was talking about just how happy she made him. And he was just sitting there looking happy, sounding happy, just loving on his wife. And I was just like, is this what you getting at home, sis, on the regular? Some beautiful shit. Michael B. Jordan, I think, is just absolutely gorgeous. If you followed me for a while, you know, I've been like a stand for a minute since Creed. We talked about that, though. But there was this video of them playing in the snow. And he just looks so damn happy. That man was smiling with all 32 of his teeth. Like the woman makes him happy. And that's a good feeling. When you could be with somebody and they just happy to be with you. And you just happy to be with them. Who doesn't love that? Ashley niggas on the internet. That's who. That's all folks. That's our episode for this week. Thank you for listening. I must remind you. That Don't Waste Your Pretty is coming to TV One on February 28th at 8, 7 Central. We may have some surprises in store for you before that film debuts. I'll let you know. Like I said, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. If you would like to get Don't Waste Your Pretty merchandise, I do have signed copies of the second edition of the new book available for sale on my website. I also have Don't Waste Your Pretty mugs in red and pink. There is a restock coming of hoodies in red, pink, white, and blue. We are adding blue this time. More colors to come. And we're also playing with kid sizes. One of my friends requested a Don't Waste Your Pretty hoodie for her daughter. I have not been able to meet her because of the pandemic, but I love her just because she exists. So I told her that we could make a Don't Waste Your Pretty hoodie for her baby, baby Tegan. For baby Teagan. So when I asked my production manager about it. And so she was like. No we need them for more than just one baby. We need them for lots of babies. So we're playing with that too. So we'll see. We'll see. You know we like to experiment. You can find that merchandise on DemetriaLLucas.com You can find news of the next drop of hoodies. By following me on social media. At Demetria L. Lucas. Particularly Instagram and Facebook. Is where I make all of the announcements. And if you want ratchet and respectable merchandise, we still have some of that on the site as well, especially for the extra smalls. And I think we have extra small to mediums left in the Vs. I don't know when we're going to re-up that stuff. Don't ask me. I don't know. I ain't thought about it, to be quite honest with you. But you can find all of that stuff on DemetriaLLucas.com. In the meantime, stay warm. Unless you're in L.A., it's a given. And that's it for this week's podcast. Oh, wait, no, we have one more thing. Senator Ted Cruz has released a statement in regards to his widely reported trip to Cancun while millions of Texans are without power. He says, quote, this has been an infuriating week for Texans. The greatest state in the greatest country in the world has been without power. We have food lines, gas lines and people sleeping at their neighbors houses. Our homes are freezing and our lights are out like millions of Texans. Our family lost heat and power, too. With school canceled for the week, our girls asked to take a trip with friends. Wanting to be a good dad, I flew down with them last night and am flying back this afternoon. My staff and I are in constant communication with state and local leaders to get to the bottom of what happened in Texas. We want our power back, our water on, and our homes warm. My team and I will continue using all our resources to keep Texans informed and safe. Did this motherfucker just blame his trip to Cancun on his kids? Them kids ain't have to go to Cancun. Don't they got a mama? She couldn't take them while the senator for the state helped deal with an emergency where people are dying? Ooh, this is some raggedy shit. You gonna blame your kids for abandoning your job while your people are freezing and dying? Ooh, that's some raggedy shit. Damn, that's low for even him. Okay, now that's everything. Thank you as always for listening and we'll talk soon. Okay, bye.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie.